Hey, how y'all doing? This is the bonus hour for Just Human number 139, which I promised you guys I would do yesterday evening, but I didn't. Instead, I watched cartoons with my boys and uh, ate some wonderful Mexican food. <laughs> and uh, and then I came downstairs and instead of uh, recording this, I decided to try and mess with my computer and figure out why I was having so many issues with it. Um, I found, I found some, some solutions. Uh, but one of the things I got answered to about it, uh, I found out this morning from an email that, uh, Twitch banned me. Finally, that's been a long time coming. We knew that was going to happen. And it's why I've asked you to follow me on other platforms. So if you did good job, but it is sad that Twitch is gone and I'll probably talk a little bit more about it tomorrow, but uh, thank you to everybody who followed me there. That's where I first started streaming. And I appreciate all of you who supported me back then and are still with me now. So thank you. My time on Twitch is, is done, though. That's how it goes. So here's the bonus hour. Let's get to it. What I promised you guys I would do is go over my Substack that I wrote on Monday. And it's a recap of last week's filings in the Danchenko case. There are some few interest. There's a few interesting things in here that are very much worth giving some attention to. And if you've already read this Substack, this is going to be an overview of it. I'm going to read it and give some additional commentary as it comes to mind. And uh, if we get through this in an hour, uh, my plan is to make this a bonus hour. If I get through with it enough with enough time, then we have some new filings today in this case. And I'll cover those. If not, then I'll definitely be covering them tomorrow on my show. So here we are. Recap of last week's filings in the Danchenko case. Now I started off giving some apologies for missing out, uh, for being sick, but don't worry. I'm, I'm better now. All right. USA versus Danchenko. There were filings last week. Here's what I got out of them. And these, as you can see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven filings. Not all of them are interesting, but a couple of them are. First, there is some issue with getting all of the requested declassified documents over to Danchenko's team. Only a portion has been turned over, and summaries have been provided for what remains. This issue of getting classified and declassified materials, redactions, and distributions to the special counsel and the defendant has come up repeatedly in this case. And while it is expected to be resolved in time for the trial, it is something to watch. One, because something is holding this effort up. What could it be? Two, Danchenko's lawyers may make further SIPA Section 5 filings. Those are That's the Classified Production Act. And three, if the materials are not supplied in time for the trial, it could become a larger issue. We've seen this... Throughout this entire case, there's been these filings saying we need an extension on SIPA or we um, have to acknowledge that we didn't get all the materials and it's been blamed on intelligence agencies being busy with overseas activity, um, which we assumed meant Ukraine. There's been a couple of them where it hinted at some issue going on between DOJ, FBI, and the intelligence agencies and the agencies that would be involved in either declassing or producing these documents with the appropriate redactions. And 
They've never gotten them all. And I find it really, really curious. And as I pointed out before, this stuff, these filings that have to do with classified production or declassified production in this case, they all seem to be filed within 24 hours of some action that also occurred in the Trump Mar-a-Lago case. And in the in what be, before the Trump Mar-a-Lago case in the uh, NARA and Trump negotiation thing where they were he was turning over the 15 boxes and all that it's I can't get away from it there's correlation is not causation of course but this there's something here there's there's something here and in fact I'm remembering now that uh there was something having to do with October 10th that I saw after my show yesterday I think it was let me let me see if I wrote it down um I think I did. I'm I know I chatted about it somewhere with someone. <laughs> Let me Oh, that's not it. Where where did I type this out? I know I did. I know I was talking to somebody about it and how something where is it where is it October 11th see this trial starts on October 11th oh I know what it is it has to do with the Mar-a-Lago raid case and I covered on the show didn't I that the judge approved a a plan or no DOJ or Trump was filing for a DOJ was filing for a plan for uh, the special master to be done by October 10th. And the Danchenko trial starts October 11th. It is, I'm looking at the uh, filings right now. Sorry, I didn't have this ready, but I just, it just popped into my mind. I think I covered it on my show anyway. All this stuff runs together for me. Yeah, but anyway, there it just keeps on it just keeps on lining up this stuff and we'll find out. We'll find out eventually. All right, next, the next filing of interest is there was a filing by Durham for an extension uh to his response to reply deadline by one day that was granted and he got that response in. A new attorney has been added to Danchenko's team. His name is Noah Cherry. And here, let me see if I can uh, zoom in for y'all on this. I should I should make this a little bigger. That'd be better. Yeah. Okay. So Noah Cherry has been added. He's a young guy. He's been with the firm that is handling Danchenko's case since about 2020, and. Uh, he is not the lead attorney. I think he's backing up Honorado who, and uh, Sears, who are partners in this law firm. And I, and have been the Sears especially has done a lot of the filings. So th that's the team that Danchenko has. Uh, there might be a couple other smaller lawyers, but these two guys, Sears and Honorado, who I have a particular eye on, 
And then we'll see about this Noah Cherry guy, what role he plays. Um, again, reminder that this law firm is the same firm that represented Hillary Clinton in the Sussman case. Now, everybody deserves a good defense. Everybody deserves defense attorneys. And you really shouldn't judge attorneys based on who they're, what who the clients are that they defend because we all want a great attorney um, if we need one. So it's no mark against someone that they represented, you know, who they rep, a defense attorney represents, but it is notable that Hillary Clinton and Danchenko are sharing the same lawyers uh, this year. Might be something to that. All right, then there's a new filing from Danchenko's team, a reply in support of their motion to dismiss. As in the motion itself, Danchenko's team argues that he gave literally true answers to ambiguous questions from the FBI, and therefore, count one must be dismissed. They then argue that counts two through five must be dismissed because Danchenko believed, assumed, and thought he was talking to Sergey Million on the anonymous call. Now, count one has to do with lying to Chuck Dolan or lying about Chuck Dolan. And then two through five have to do with Sergey Million. Defense argues that such statements are, quote, equivocal and speculative, and that Danchenko cannot be charged with making a false statement based on such statements. Finally, they argued that Danchenko's alleged false statements were not material to any government decision, but admit this is something typical, typically left to the jury to decide, and it will be, I believe it will be, and it's turned out it will be, because today we got Judge Tringa's order and uh, he denied this motion to dismiss. Now, I remember I had said that it was possible that Judge Tringa might contract, I don't know what the right word for it would be, but he might say, look, Durham, you're, you're charging this guy for four counts of lying about Sergey Million, but really... It could just be one count that was continued or two or three counts that were continued. You're, you know, you're kind of charging him for the same thing more than once, but the judge didn't do that. He said, no, motion to dismiss is denied. And he also said that he would, uh, he, he was open to revisiting the motion to dismiss after Durham presents his case in chief. Um, that's not unusual. Why? Because every trial after the prosecution gets done presenting their case in chief, what does the defense do? They argue for acquittal or dismissal every time. Like in every case, as soon as the prosecution is done with their presentation of their case in chief, defense gets up and says, they didn't prove their case. Judge, you need to dismiss it. So it's not surprising that Tringa said something like that. All right. Finally, they again argue that Danchenko's false statements were not material to any government decision, but admit this something left to the jury and it will be. Okay. I already read that. Sorry. Here is an interesting paragraph though. It's more confirmation that Danchenko was informing on Dolan and that the FBI recommended opening a full investigation into Dolan based on that information. It's right here from their filing. The special counsel fails to mention that the reason the FBI knew that Dolan maintained these relationships is because Mr. Danchenko told them. Dolan is uh, what I would think would be easily played, maybe. He's a bit naive in his um, liking of Russia 
In later part of the conversation, Danchenko stated in substance and in part that Dolan had traveled to the October delegation on the October delegation to Moscow, that Dolan conducted business with business one and Russian subsource one, and that Dolan had professional relationship with Russian press, press secretary one. In fact, based on the information and sources that Mr. Danchenko shared with the FBI, the FBI actually recommended opening a full investigation into Dolan. Now, I expect that this is a card Danchenko's team will try and play in addition to saying that the questions Danchenko was being asked were ambiguous and that Danchenko was giving literally true answers as far as he was aware of anyway. They're going to say, look, Danchenko had a working relationship with the FBI and that the defense plans to call FBI agents in to help them with their case that Dan, they're probably going to be asking them. So Mr. Danchenko was cooperating with you. He answered your questions. Did he answer all the questions you wanted him that you asked him? Do you feel that he was honest with you? And they're like, well, they may not say ask that question. Uh, they may say, did, was his information credible? Did his information lead to any action? You know, they're going to try and build it up and say, look, this guy, I think they want to cast him as being a good source for the FBI. And then, that on these occasions with these specific questions, he gave the questions were too ambiguous. And Danchenko gave the truest answer that he was aware of or that he could. And, um, mean old Mr. Durham has come along and said he lied. I think that's going to be their angle. I'm very interested to see which FBI agents they call, which one of them were his handlers or were not his handler, but asked to, interview him and perhaps what other people he spoke to the FBI about. And four, I expect we're going to learn that some of these agents, I'm going to guess two or more agents that get called during this trial. I think we're going to learn that they're under investigation by the special counsel and, or the IG. Or perhaps the OIG. I, I I think just like in the Sussman case that happened, I think there were two or three FBI agents who we learned during their testimony that they were under investigation as well. Um, I think the same thing's going to happen with this case. This As I write here, this continues, all of this that I highlighted, this continues to be a massively underreported story. To say the least, I'm like the me and Brian Cage are like the only people who are pointing to this. Danchenko was flipped in the spring of 2017. He became a paid informant and he began feeding the FBI intel on Charles Dolan Jr., a Clintonista, someone who had been working with and for the Clinton since the early 1990s, worked on their presidential campaigns as well as on Gore's and Kerry's. This is huge. Why is it not a bigger story? And I've, I've, I've really been trying to figure out why it's not a bigger story. I mean, I've gone back and read the filings after the shows and tried to see, I tried to talk myself out of this. When I very first picked up on it and shared it, me and Brian talked about it, and Brian, I blew Brian's mind, which made me feel really good. And he told me, he's like, no, nobody else has picked up on this. This is incredible. 
you're saying that he flipped and I told Brian at that time, I was like, you know, I'm actually not sure if he's flipped. I'm trying to figure it out, but it looks that way. And I mean, that's what it seems to be telling us. And then more filings since then have since then have confirmed this and nobody's contesting it um, in the filings. So I, I've really, I've tried to talk myself out of it, um, but that's what the filings are telling us. The filings are telling us that, that maybe flipped isn't the best word for it. But the filings are telling us that Danchenko met with the FBI dozens of times, not just three, four, five, six times, dozens of times, and that he gave them all of this information on Dolan, and it was, and they, he gave them so much they decided to recommend. We don't know if they actually did, but it's good. But I assume they did. They recommended, based on his information, a full investigation into Dolan be opened, and I don't know why. I'm the only person who's picking up on this in the filings and broadcasting it. I haven't seen any of the Twitter research group guys point at it. I haven't seen John Solomon pick up on it. I haven't seen anybody at Fox News or the Federalist or any of the other outlets that have, that are, you know, like dedicate time to covering Durham. I haven't seen any of them pick up on this with Danchenko. And I can't, can't square it because it's very obvious. It's very obvious in the filings that that's what they're telling us. So it's like they're all making a conscious decision to have to not either not report it, not focus on it at all, or they have blinders on because of they're all blackpilled about the trial anyway. And they're just, they've blinded themselves to seeing what this these filings are telling us um probably a combo of those two things i really have gone back and considered okay maybe i'm wrong about this maybe it's not as big a deal as i think it is but no i'm right i'm definitely right i've i'm as sure as i can be of it um i mean it's just basic deduction and reading comprehension So I'm going to keep talking about it until it becomes a bigger story. <laughs> All right, back to the Substack. And now Dolan is going to be testifying against Danchenko at trial. These people are turning on each other. It reminds me of Mook testifying during the Sussman trial that Hillary approved the Alpha Bank hoax. Since Dolan is testifying, we can assume he has been interviewed by Durham more than once and was prob has probably appeared before a grand jury. Like Elias and Mook, Durham knows what answers Dolan will give to what questions, and those answers will be constrained by what he has previously testified to under oath. Now, the last filing to cover is Durham's reply to Danchenko's opposition to Durham's motions in limine. He often drops filings on a Friday, I've noticed. Durham is moving to have three instances of uncharged conduct admitted into evidence and he pre and be presented at trial under Rule 404B. 404B is other crimes and character evidence and things like that. This is what he wants to introduce. The government moves to admit three instances of uncharged conduct. One, the defendant's statements regarding his purported receipt of information reflecting Donald Trump's alleged salacious sexual activity at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Moscow. Two, the defendant's false statements to the FBI reflecting the fact that he never informed 
friends, associates, or sources that he worked for Orbis or Christopher Steele when he in fact did. Three, the defendant's email to his former employer in which the defendant advised the employer when necessary to fabricate sources of information. As addressed below, this evidence is admissible as direct evidence of the crimes charged because it is, quote, necessary to complete the story of the crime on trial, and it is inextricably intertwined with the crime charged. Durham intends to show that Danchenko lied about his meeting with the hotel hotel managers from the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow. The government intends to present evidence that undermines the defendant's claim that he met with the hotel managers about this issue. Durham will do this at least in part with the testimony of one of the senior managers from the hotel, Bernd Kulin. The government expects to call Bernd Kulin as a witness. Mr. Kulin was general manager of the Ritz-Carlton at the time of the defendant allegedly visited the hotel in June 2016. The government anticipates that Kulin, a German citizen and non-Russian speaker, will testify to, among other things, one, that he has no recollection of meeting with the defendant. Two, that he has no knowledge of the salacious allegations that the defendant attributed to him or that he allegedly confirmed. Three, that he does not recall discussing, discussing such allegations with other managers. And four, that he was the only Western senior staff member at the hotel. Given that the defendant provided the names of the hotel managers to steal, the government intends to prove at trial that Kulin was the only senior Western member of staff. Now, thought I just had as I read that sentence. Does that mean Christopher Steele is going to be called? Or is there going to be, is this list, these names, are all the names that he provided to Christopher Steele going to be produced as evidence in the trial? That'd be interesting. It'd be really interesting as Steele appears. All right, the foot. Remember, Durham sent out 30 subpoenas for this trial. Now, the footnotes. In his January 2017 interview, the defendant falsely stated that he was a guest at the hotel in June 2016, but corrected his version of events in May 2017. It strains credulity, however, to believe that Ritz Carlton managers, with no apparent relationship to the defendant, would confirm lurid sexual allegations about a U.S. presidential candidate to a guest, let alone a stranger off the street. Fair point. It really doesn't make a lot of sense that somebody that he had no connection to, like, imagine walking into a hotel and asking about a celebrity that stayed there and if they engaged in some act like this. Um, yeah. One, they probably wouldn't talk to you about it, Two, they would, if you asked, they would probably remember, right? And and Kulin's going to testify, no, I didn't know that guy and I've never talked to him. All right, now three really good questions from Durham in this filing that are really worth thinking about. One, why did the defendant simply not say to the FBI in his exchange that Steele, not Danchenko, may have incorrectly believed Source D to be million? Why didn't he just say, yeah, he, you know, that was who we believed it was. Two, why did the defendant state only that it could be referring to Million or someone like Million? 
without divulging who actually provided the information attributed to source D. Three, why would Steele have any reason to believe or assert that source D was million if the defendant, his primary and perhaps only collector of information for the reports, did not reach out to million until July 2016, a month after the relevant report was published? It's really odd. To me, it indicates a cover-up where there's an obfuscation of information by Danchenko and there's lies by Danchenko where he's trying to get away from something. He's trying to protect something, hide something, get away from something. How, how, why, is, why would Steele have any reason to believe or assert that Source D was million if the defendant who is his primary and perhaps only collector of information for those reports did not reach out to me until July, 2016. It makes me think that they decided at some point they decided, Oh, we're going to let's frame million for this for some reason. Now Durham goes on and says, in any event, the jury is entitled to hear evidence and evaluate the credibility of that statement because it relates directly to Million, whose purported role in these matters is the central factual issue underlying several counts in the indictment. Accordingly, for the reasons set forth in the government's moving paper statements and evidence concerning Sergey Million's role in these issues should be admitted as direct evidence or in the alternative pursuant to Rule 404B. Now the footnote to this up here says... The government plans to introduce evidence that the defendant was the primary source of information for the Steele reports writ large, including his own statement on LinkedIn that he gathered, quote, most of the raw intel for Christopher Steele's dossier in the spring summer of 2016. So Danchenko posted on LinkedIn that he, yeah, I, I was the I was the guy who gathered most of the raw intel for Christopher Steele. Couple thoughts on Sergey Million right now. I know I said that I would dig on him, and uh, that I would that I was you know that I was just trying to figure him out. That I'm I have I have mixed feelings about him. I I really do. I'm. There's, yeah, I, I can't, I can't decide what I think about him exactly. Um, I've been in the camp for a long time that he was an innocent victim of this and I've pretty well stepped out of that camp. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't mean he's not a victim in some respect, but there's something here for why he was chosen as their patsy for this anonymous call. Some something's going on that made Danchenko decide he was going to point fingers at Sergey Million. And I don't know what it is. Uh, but I really, really want to know the why. I get I get that he would he was a pretty easy target, but I think it's more than that. 
I, I think there's there's something more going on. I almost I almost wonder if um there was a plan to point the fingers at Sergey Million and Sergey Million was supposed to play a role he decided not to play. Like like maybe Sergey Million was supposed to come in and add two the reports and add to the Russia hoax. He was supposed to play a role that was larger and was additive, but for some reason he didn't do it and revealed that he had never talked to Danchenko and that aspect of things unwound. I'm not sure. I'm, but he sure does, or especially lately, Sergey million has really been whining a lot, protesting and, uh, his Twitter behavior has been odd. So, and then the fact that he put up demands saying he wants Durham to give him all sorts of things. If he want, if, if he's going to come and testify in this trial, that strikes me as really odd. And he said he was worried about being arrested by the FBI. If he came to America, that strikes me as pretty odd. I know that most people say, yeah, he's scared of the FBI because the FBI investigated him and FBI tried to frame him. Well, he's been exonerated. Thanks to this case right here. And you would think that after being exonerated by Durham's actions, he would be happy to go and appear at trial for Durham. So it makes me wonder if there's something else going on with million and the investigation that he was under. Yeah. It, uh, it led to something and he knows it and he's genuinely doesn't want to come to America unless he gets some, he gets some sort of immunity for it. Anyway, now this next part's really interesting. Charles Dolan, a source of information in the steel reports was present in Moscow in June, 2016 at the same time the defendant was allegedly gathering information for the steel reports Two, he had lunch with the defendant in Moscow in June, 2016. Three, he spoke with the Ritz-Carlton hotel managers in June 2016. And four, he took a tour of the Ritz-Carlton in June 2016. Whether or not Dolan received any information about Trump's purported salacious activities from the hotel staff, he will testify that he did not. He was an important fact witness who should have been of significant interest to the FBI's understanding of these matters. That's materiality right here of why the lies about Dolan matter so much. Here's your materiality. Also, Durham knows about all of these actions that Dolan took, probably because Danchenko informed on him and possibly because Durham has interviewed Dolan and Dolan has been singing and has been telling Durham all of the things he did in 2016. In the January 2017 interviews, remember those happened over three days, the defendant never mentioned Charles Dolan. And see, it seems like Danchenko put himself in the shoes of Dolan and tried to hide Dolan away and then later on decided to point the FBI at Million. Uh, it's, it's weird. All right, this language here. 
Dolan was an important fact witness who should. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, that ding. Let me turn off uh, Telegram so it, we don't get those dings. Y'all may have not heard it, but I'm pretty sure he did. All right. Dolan was an important fact witness who should, should have been of significant interest to the FBI's understanding of these matters. It's tempting to infer some things from that line. One, it's just materiality is explained, but plainly you can take it as Danchenko should have told them. But that message would be more easily understood as such if Durham typed out would instead of should. So try the sentence now. Dolan was an important fact witness who would have been of significant interest to the FBI's understanding of these matters. That's not what Durham wrote. Durham wrote who should have been of significant interest. It's a small difference, but it stuck out to me. And as we read through some of this, this should would comes up again. I am wondering if this line is a jab at the FBI. Dolan should have been of significant interest to the FBI. Obviously Dolan would become of interest to the FBI over the course of 2017. And in December, an investigative referral was made thanks to the information Danchenko provided them. Early on, though, during these those interviews in January 2017 and through June 2017, Danchenko hid Dolan from the FBI. Why? And when the FBI did become aware of him, how then did they proceed? Not for the first time, I am catching a hint of there being parallel inf- investigations at work here, and I really do think there are. think there's the crossfire hurricane we know about and there's something else that ran ran silent parallel with it further during the defendant's june 2017 interview with the fbi which forms the basis of the false statement charge related to dolan the defendant only informed the fbi that he was present with dolan during the october 2016 ypo conference Again, the defendant conveniently whitewashed Dolan from the June 2016 planning trip. Lie by omission. This fact is highly material because in January 2017 interviews, the defendant informed the FBI that he had gathered information for the Steele reports during June 2016 trip, but did not gather any information during the October 2016 trip. This evidence is highly probative of the defendant's efforts to conceal Dolan's proximity to the defendant at the time he, the defendant, was collecting information for the Steele reports. In fact, the government anticipates that Dolan will testify that he has no recollection of seeing the defendant at the Ritz-Carlton in June 2016. I love it that Dolan and Danchenko are knives out at each other. (laughs) That works to Durham's advantage. It's inescapable that Denchenko's lies were material. Dolan was highly relevant to their investigation of the reports. As discussed in its moving papers, Dolan's role as a contributor to Steele reports was highly relevant and material. Dolan maintained a relationship with several high-ranking Russian government officials who appear in the Steele reports. Dolan maintained a relationship with another of the defendant's alleged subsources. Dolan was present in Moscow with the defendant when the defendant allegedly gathered some of the information reflected in the Steele reports and Dolan's historical and ongoing involvement in democratic politics had the potential to bear 
on his reliability, motivations, and potential bias as a source for the Steele reports. Accordingly, this evidence is properly admitted as direct evidence because it provides the jury with context about Dolan, including his relationship with the defendant at a time when the defendant was allegedly collecting information that would later be reflected in the Steele reports. Now, this line right here, common plan and intent to deceive. Alternatively, the evidence is properly admitted under Rule 404B as evidence of the defendant's common plan and intent to deceive the FBI about Charles Dolan's role as a source for the Steele reports. He was hiding the Clintonista from the FBI. Not just the source. He was hiding a source who is a long time, a 10, 20, 30 year Clintonista from the FBI. Next, Durham lays on a four punch combo that wrecks the defense's arguments against introducing Denchenko's false statement regarding his work for Orvis and Christopher Steele. Durham thrashes them right here. Here it is. First, as discussed above, the defendant did not inform the FBI that Dolan was present at the Ritz-Carlton in June 2016. Again, this is a material omission because the defendant informed the FBI that he collected information for the Steele reports in June 2016, but not during the October 2016 trip. Dolan's proximity to the defendant during this time period is a highly relevant fact. Second, when the defendant was asked, would Chris know of Dolan? The defendant replied, I think he would because I cleared my October trip with Chris. However, as discussed in the government's moving papers, the defendant attempted to broker business between Steele and Dolan, provided Dolan with a copy of his Orbis work product, and apparently informed Dolan of Steele's former employment with the MI6. Third, while the defendant did introduce Dolan to Miss Galkina, the government anticipates introducing evidence through the defendant's hand, handling agent. So we're going to hear... Durham's going to call the handling agent for Danchenko at trial. And the defendant was unaware of the extent of communication between Dolan and Galkina. This is highly material. This is a highly material fact, given that both Dolan and Galkina are alleged to have been sources for the Steele reports. Fourth, while the defendant did inform the FBI that Dolan maintained contacts with high-level Kremlin, Kremlin figures, including Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov, he notably failed to inform the FBI that Dolan had reached out to Peskov and his deputy, both of whom appear in the Steele reports, and others during the course of the YPO preparation. Further, the defendant failed to inform the FBI that Dolan maintained a relationship with U.S.-based diplomats Sergei Kislyak and Mikhail Kalugin, both of whom appear in the Steele reports. And Kalugin attempted, attended the YPO conference in October 2016, yet another fact conveniently omitted by the defendant. The government respectfully submits to the, that the jury should be, the present, should be presented with evidence reflecting the full picture of the defendant's false statements and omissions regarding the disclosure of his work for Orbis and Steele. Now, here's a question. If Danchenko informed on Dolan and Dolan flipped on Danchenko and will testify against him and both worked for or with Christopher Steele, 
Did either of them or both of them flip on Christopher Steele? Might there be others in this conspiracy, in this plan, who Danchenko and Dolan have been speaking to Durham about? I'm thinking so. I'm thinking it's likely. I think it's likely. Now we get a preview of some of the evidence Durham wants to present at trial. Um, this is in the foot and additional statements made by the defendant, which contradict his claim about not informing his friends of his work with Orbis and steel. Um, there's a Facebook message here dated January 5th, 2017. This message was sent less than three weeks prior to the defendant's interview with the FBI. The government intends to call Mr. Sidar, the defendant's former employer at trial. The government anticipates that Mr. Sidar will testify that he was aware of the defendant's work for Christopher Steele and Orbis. That's damning. Three weeks before he talked to the FBI, he messaged someone. And, yeah. It's not like he forgot. Now, here's, this is also interesting. Hi, name withheld. Sorry I missed the event with name withheld. I didn't get to central London until 1930. Means 7.30. I'll try to deliver the books this afternoon. If I don't manage, one of my mates from Orbis EI will tomorrow. I am with luggage off to Surrey tonight and Edinburgh tomorrow. Best, Igor. It's another Facebook message sent by Danchenko. This one on January 27th, 2016. Mm -hmm. Another Facebook message. I'll be back to business trips in April through May, I think. Yes, things are good. What you see on social media is pretty much how things are. The rest is Orbis business intelligence and a bit. On May 13th, 2016, the defendant sent a photo of an Orbis business card to Olga Galkina. And maybe work to do for Chris, another Facebook message. Maybe work to do for Chris, who's probably coming to D.C. on Wednesday. Christopher Steele, in fact, did travel to to Washington, D.C. on September 21st, 2016, that Wednesday. All right. Now, here is a paragraph that I sent the black-pilled pundits into a a, a cynical, narrow-minded tailspin. And I hope my audio is good because I can see that my camera is starting to do the same glitching thing again, where my camera is like, like a, uh, it's stuttering. I don't know why. That concerns me. I'm not. I'm gonna try not get distracted by it now. Um, sorry if it's distracting for y'all who watched this in uh, video form. I will do an audio. There will be an audio version of this too. All right. Okay. Where was I at? All right now. Now here is a paragraph that has sent the the black-pilled pundits into a cynical, narrow-minded tailspin. Alternatively, this evidence is properly admitted pursuant to Rule 404B to prove that the defendant engaged in an overarching plan, it's in quotes, to deceive the FBI about the manner and methods by which he conducted his work for Orbis. 
Indeed, had the defendant been truthful about the widespread dis disclosure of his work for Steele and Orbis, it is highly likely that the FBI would have conducted interviews of those individuals in an effort to determine whether the information provided by the defendant was accurate, false, or a product of Russian disinformation. Well, back to me. Some folks have gone apoplectic over such sentences, such ideas that the FBI was deceived. This, where much of the Dur this is where much of the Durham is a cover-up for the DOJ and FBI and the deep state. Those types of reactions are coming from this. People cannot accept that the FBI was deceived on any level. Now, whether they were or not, and I believe at certain points, pe certain people in the FBI were, is inconsequential to this case. What is consequential is that the defendant, Igor Danchenko, engaged in an overarching plan to deceive the FBI. That's what allows him to be charged for this. Now, if the FBI, just like with Sussman, if everybody at the FBI who Sussman dealt with, or everybody in the FBI who Danchenko dealt with, was quote-unquote in on it, if they were all in on it and trying to deceive and... Uh, then Durham, then Durham's charged him with the wrong crime. Just that same, I made that same point with Sussman. If Baker was in on it with Sussman, then Durham charged Sussman for the wrong thing. Because the guy he got accused of lying to was quote unquote in on it with him. So he wasn't lying to him. They were executing their plan. Right? Same thing here. I think that it's important to understand that the not everybody was deceived and that there was a plan to deceive the FBI that was cooked up by these criminals. That was their point. Their purpose was to deceive the FBI. And you got to take yourself back then. What was the FBI, what had the FBI been doing in 2016? Looking at the Hillary laptop and the email, the, the Wiener laptop and the Hillary email server, right? We learned from one of the filings, uh, one of the emails out of the Sussman case that they were concerned about how to present their information, their Alpha, Alpha Bank uh, hoax to the FBI because the FBI had been looking into Hillary. They were concerned about how to present it to them and trick them into believing it and investigating it so that it would damage Trump because they didn't trust the FBI. They were worried that they would present it to them and the FBI would immediately be skeptical of them and wouldn't investigate the Alphagate hoax, but would instead investigate them. That the FBI would catch on like that to their plan. They were worried about that for a good reason. Now, I think what we're going to find out is that there were FBI agents who were crooked and who wanted to damage Donald Trump, who were not on the up and up. And I think IG Horowitz and Durham know who they are. And I think those people will be held accountable. But that doesn't mean that all of the FBI agents are bad or in on it or deep state. 
or swamp or whatever. I think a lot of them, in fact, most of them, as Trump and Trump's people tell us, are good people, are good law enforcement officers. And thank God they are. Because we wouldn't be where we're at with this if we didn't have good people in the FBI, right? Now, almost as if to rhyme with the earlier should line I zeroed in on above, Durham writes that had the FBI known, it is highly likely they would have. See, first he said should. Now he's saying would. The next section deals with Danchenko's emails to Sink Sidar. Notice this plan comes up again. It reminds me of joint venture conspiracy phrase, which kept coming up in the Sussman trial. On page 10, Durham dunks on the defense over the issue of Sergey Million's emails. Durham writes, likewise, Million is requesting information about the defendant. Who is that? What type of person? Who is Igor Danchenko? These are, these are Million's emails where he's emailing to other people and he's saying, hey, who is this Igor guy who says I'm a source? The last issue Durham addresses is that of what information regarding the prior counterintelligence investigation of Danchenko, the one from 2010-2011, should be admitted. Defense wants only the good parts, of, of course, and Durham wants most, if not all. On this page are a few nuggets that I think point to where things are headed. What revelations and major developments are ahead of us in this trial and after? Now, here's what he writes. Limiting the evidence in this manner would improperly give the jury the false impression that the investigation closed, the one in 2010-2011, due to lack of evidence against the defendant. But that's not the case. The government believes the facts underlying the investigation are admissible as direct evidence because if in any investigation of potential collusion between the Russian government and a political campaign, it is appropriate and necessary for the FBI to consider whether information it receives via foreign nationals may be a product of Russian intelligence efforts or disinformation. And in doing so, the FBI must consider the actual facts of the prior investigation. Had the FBI known at the time of the 2017 interviews that the defendant, the prior investigation, if they had known about that, had the FBI known the defendant was providing them with false information about sourcing of his claims as naturally would have or should have caused investigators to revisit the prior counterintelligence investigation and raise the prospect of revisiting prior conduct by the defendant, including his statements to a Brookings Institution colleague, hello Fiona Hill, regarding the receipt of classified information in exchange for money and his prior contact with suspected intelligence officers. There's that would, should interplay in regards to FBI being deceived. But this time it is would have, and then in parentheses, or should have. And this right here, guys, gives me the sense that Durham has some FBI agents on his naughty list. I may be getting a little bit too cute with how I'm breaking down this 13-page filing, but Durham went from saying the FBI should have the FBI would have to the FBI would or should have. I think that's because there's some agents here who, when they got this information, however they got it, 
should have proceeded differently and didn't. And I think we're going to learn their names. And I think we're going to learn that they are under investigation. And while all these black pill black pillars are caught up in their doom and in their nonsense that Durham's a cover up, here we have filings that are pointing to something so much bigger and pointing that Durham does have his eyes on the FBI. And Durham does have his eyes on major players in the Clinton investigation, in the Clinton camp, that they've most likely been under investigation. Dolan, the fact that Dolan is testifying tells you that this man has been meeting with Dolan for some time. Let me say it a different way. Durham has been meeting with and probably called and put under oath in front of a grand jury, Charles Dolan, a 30-year Clintonista who worked on all of their campaigns and Kerry's and Gore's campaigns. This man right here, John H. Durham, has been interviewing and getting testimony from him. He's put him under oath. And he's going to do so again here in two weeks. Lock her up is real. Nothing can stop what is coming. All right. Now that is this substack, And if y'all enjoyed that, I might do it again sometime. This is the first time I've ever written anything about Durham's work or what Durham's doing. But if y'all enjoyed this format, this, whether the Substack or just me going over it like this, um, let me know because I'm kind of, I'm thinking about doing a Substack previewing the Denchenko trial. Um, Hey, what the world? I thought I killed, I thought I got rid of Telegram. I thought I closed it. Oops. Sorry guys. Um, yeah, if you like this, let me know because I'm thinking about doing a Substack that previews the Danchenko trial and releasing it right before it starts and just like giving this overview of the trial. Um, Brian Cates has done some really good ones that kind of do the same. Like he has one, it's like 12 things you need to know. I think it's 12 things you need to know ahead of the Danchenko trial. Um, and then he also recently did an article that's like a quiz that you can take to see how much you know about it. Um, all really good. And I very much recommend all of Brian's writings, but especially those. Um, but yeah, if you like this, let me know because, uh, that will encourage me to, to write more about, about the Danchenko case ahead of the trial. And, and when the trial goes live here in two weeks, I think exactly 13 days from now or 12 days from now, I will be covering it every single day. I'll do my normal morning show, most likely, and then maybe an evening show. Um, my my, It's actually fall break for my oldest son that week, so he can help watch his younger brother, and that'll allow me to stream each morning if I need to. Um, I'm I haven't set on a schedule. All I can say right now is I promise you I'll be streaming every day of that trial, and just like I did with Sussman. So very much looking forward to it. Guys, if you... um. If you want to support my work, share it. If you want to do more than that, you can purchase a subscription to my Substack, just human.substack.com. Be a paid supporter on my locals, uh, just human.locals.com. Or you can go to buymeacupofcoffee.com slash just human. And 
helps keep me caffeinated. So, all right. The new filings that we have from today in this case, I will cover tomorrow morning on Friday's show, Just Human number 140. God bless you all. Thank you for watching or listening, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow.